are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bible with me tonight to Daniel, the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. The fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. And the sixth verse. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees went one against another. Then in the thirtieth verse, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans slain. Now, if you're going to go out, go before I start preaching. And when you go, don't come. if you come back, sit in the back. Amen. I believe we ought to respect the house of God. Amen. And the man that preaches. Our Father, as we come to speak tonight, we're speaking to some man or some woman tonight that'll never have another opportunity. They'll, this crowd will not all ever be together again. So bless we pray thee thy word tonight. And may the Holy Spirit do his office work in the convicting men and women of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I may by reason and by I may by argument and by reason, I may convince these people of sin, but I cannot convict them of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So all is vain tonight unless the Spirit from the Holy One comes down. Give us judgment day thoughts tonight as we preach the word. How we thank you for that you gave us the honor. Lord, we don't worry about a crowd. Not, not ever do we worry about a crowd. Because we count it a great honor just to be given the privilege to mention the name of Jesus. So bless it tonight. In his name we ask it. Amen. The story of Belshazzar takes on a very vital and meaningful interest as we get an understanding of the surroundings and the last great feast. Perhaps we should describe the city itself. The city of Babylon was said to be the wonder of the day. It lay about 15 miles each way. And the river Euphrates ran directly through the heart of the city. The city with its hanging gardens, its many towers, wonderful pools, and with all of that was reckoned among the wonders of the world. And at the setting of our story tonight, the city was being besieged with the army of Medes and Persians. They'd been, and while they had been working on it, and changing the channel of the river, and turning the river around the city, so they could march their armies into the city upon the river emptied riverbed. And the night of Belshazzar's drunken feast, this feat was accomplished, this feat was accomplished, and Belshazzar fell. Belshazzar died, the city fell, and Belshazzar died. Now in the next 30 minutes, and I'll try to hold it to that tonight. In the next 30 minutes, if I may, let me talk to you about this Old Testament character, Belshazzar. Let me talk to you about this Old Testament character, and I want you to look at him first of all with me in life, how he lived. Then I want you to look at him in death, how he died. 
Because a man usually dies like he lives. Show me how a man lives and I'll show you how the man dies. Because a man usually, I said, dies like he lives. And so I'm talking about Belshazzar first of all tonight in life. Belshazzar in life. In life, Belshazzar was a pleasure seeker. Very easy to see that because he said Belshazzar made a feast to a thousand of his lords and ladies and drank wine before the thousands. Feasting at a time when he should have been fasting. Feasting at a time when his kingdom was in danger of being overthrown. Feasting at a time when the enemy was at the very gate of the city. Feasting. I think he must have been a man of very low ideals to feast at such a time as that. I'm saying to you, my friend, tonight, I believe that the cities of this world and I believe the kingdoms of this world are at the very door of judgment. At the very door of judgment. And while we're feasting and fasting and drinking and all the rest of it and sex, while all of that is going on, we're sitting on the very edge, my friend, of the destruction of our freedoms, and the destruction of our liberties, and the destruction of our living. I saw an article the other day, I cut it out of the Huntington, West Virginia paper, where some men, this, this newspaper man, had Dr. Falwell's picture in it, and he had interviewed him, and Dr. Falwell had said, unless something happens, unless we come to God in this country, unless we come to God, he said, within a thousand days, our liberties will be gone. Within a thousand days, our liberties will be gone. You see what's happening to us tonight down yonder in Cuba? They now, they're now turning out the criminals, the rapists, the arsonists. They're turning out the hold-up men, even the, even the men that have been taken for hijacking the planes, turning them all out and dumping them in this country here. Dumping them in, in this country. That's the reason, my friend, and that's the reason that they're even bursting out of the prisons and bursting out of the barracks where we place them. They don't mind. They don't care. They're not saying thank you. You know, if I was president, it'd be a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you one thing. They'd be sent back or I'd know the reason why. And I'd get the ships along and instead of sending them out, as this government did to bring them in, I'd line them up along the shores and i say, get aboard. And others coming in, stop them there. Say, if you haven't got gasoline to get back, we'll bring it to you. That's what I'm telling you. We are now talking about we don't have enough energy, we don't have enough food, we don't have this or that. And yet bringing in a hundred thousand a day. Let me tell you something. It's time that God's people begin to wake up. Did you know that? Now Ramsey Pollard's on the way back and they're discussing now whether or not they're going to bring him in and try him for violating the president's order. Uh, I say he ought to be done like any other citizen of this country, amen? amen? And maybe more so because he knew better. He knew better. I'm going to tell you this. You say, Dr. Lincoln, do you think the world has improved? We've fought these wars. I remember, I said, feasting while the... Feasting when we should have been fasting. I remember when I was pastor of the tabernacle here in, in, the, in the war. I remember in the war, 
I made a list of the names and the addresses of the soldiers until I had 6,000 of them. Mrs. Lakin typed them out and I went in and tacked the list up on the, up on the prayer room. And I'd go in of a day and stand and put my hands on the names of those boys and ask God to help them. I saw many of those boys return from the war. Some of them were left in the steaming jungles, my friend. I saw them return. Do you know what was happening right here? Right here, do you know what was happening? Mothers and wives and sweethearts and sisters were dancing and card playing and drinking and cocktail sipping like they were dancing on the coffin of their dead loved ones. Many of those boys returned. I found when they returned that many of those mothers that said, pray for my boy. You couldn't drag him to church with a tin-tune truck. They forgot it, amen. Belshazzar in life was a pleasure seeker. Given he was a pleasure seeker. He made pleasure his chief aim. You say, Dr. Lincoln, don't you believe in pleasure? You never looked a man between two big brown eyes that's getting more fun out of living than I am. I'm as happy as a corn as a coon in a cornfield and the hounds all tied. Let me tell you something tonight. Yeah, I'm as happy as a bald-headed bumblebee in a tenor clover field sucking honey from the blossom. What kind of a pleasure do I believe in? I believe in a kind that builds you. The kind that lifts you up. Little gal said to me not long ago, Dr. Lakin, you talk about pleasure. You want us to give up all the good things. You want us to give up. If we would, if we would do what you say, we'd have to give up all of our friends. No, you wouldn't, honey. They'd give you up. You come clean with God and you won't have any trouble. With your friends, they'll shed you like the calf in the spring of the year. You just mentioned Jesus, and you won't have any trouble with the mob. I can go downtown and get on the elevator, and it's so jammed, I can't get the door open. But it'll be open by the time we get to the next floor or two. All I'll say is, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Boy, you'll see him begin to twist and turn. And they immediately remember that they were supposed to get off on that floor. Amen. Ah, oh, listen, said I'd have to give up. Let me tell you something. You never had the only, the listen, God has never asked you to give up any good thing. The only thing that God asked you to give up, things that's hurting you, things that's destroying you. God never asked you to give up any good thing. God never asked you to give up anything that was for your own best interest to keep. That's what I'm telling you. The Bible makes that plain when he said the Bible makes that plain when he said, No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Pleasure seeking. If you could see some that I meet, I met a little girl the other day in a city when I was preaching, and she said, Dr. Lincoln, I'm from a member of one of the, the, the foremost members of, I'm a member of a family that's the foremost family in the church where you're having a meeting. And she said, You know what's happened? I'll tell you. I fell in with a married man. And now the inevitable has happened. I'm going to have to tell my parents. And when I do, it'll kill them. I was preaching not long ago and had a young man with me. I had a young man with me that was a dope pusher. He didn't take the dope, but he pushed it. He sold it and he said one night, driving a white Cadillac car when I was only 17 years old and $15,000 in my pocket. And a man shot me in the chest because I was on his turf. 
And he got, this young man got saved. And he was with me and driving for me. Down yonder one night in a meeting when he was, he was conducting a meeting for the young people. They jammed the room to listen to him. They jammed the room to listen to him. One night as I stood there, as the young people came out, I saw a girl with a sad, sad look on her face. And I said, how old are you? And she said, I'm 15. I said, what's your trouble? She said, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. And I said, well, where do you buy this stuff? And I buy it from so-and-so. And then this boy said to her, this young man said to her, let me see what the, the stuff is you have. She showed him the, the tablets. And he said, what does he charge you for those? And she told him, he said, he's ripping you off. He's ripping you off. They're not worth that. And then I said to her, how do you buy the stuff? How do you get the money? And then she said, I sell my body. Fifteen years old. You tell me I'm not going to say anything about an evil and about a sin like that? I heard some preachers yesterday on the Sunday school lesson, and they were condemning preachers for standing up and talking about these things. I'll tell you, I believe that God wants men that are willing to stand up. That's what I like about this preacher here. Bless God, he's got a backbone. He hasn't just got a, 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 a yellow string up his back with a few ribs tied to it. He's got a backbone. I like Uncle Bud Robertson's prayer. The old Nazarene evangelist, he said, and I got saved. He said, I asked God to give me a backbone like a tholog and give me ribs like sleepers under the church and put a pair of sheet iron breeches on me and hang a whole wagon load of determination in the gable into my throat and kick the devil as long as I had a foot to kick him with, hit him as long as I had a fist to hit him with, and bite him as long as I had a tooth to bite him with, and then help me to sit down and gum him till I die, for Jesus' sake. That's what his message was. I think a preacher ought to be a cross between a mule and a billy goat, kicking one in and blood at the other. That's what I believe. Oh, the highbrows won't like that. Amen. That's a fellow that's educated above his intelligence. And neither will the upper crust. You know who the upper crust are. That's a few crows held together by a lot of dough. <laughs> Let me tell you something tonight. Let me t you said, Dr. Aiken, what do you got against pleasure-seeking? Well, one thing is this. Pleasure-seeking chokes the word of God and hinders it from taking root in the life. And that which you saw are the pleasures and riches and so forth, of this world. And you know, it says this, the pleasure seeker allows the seed to be snatched away before it has time to generate. That's the reason. To germinate. You say, why, do you, why, why, why are you against pleasure? Because, my friends, it hinders the gospel from taking root in the life. And the second is because pleasure seekers are never satisfied. I read the other day, I saw a cigarette ad. Said, smoke Chesterfields, they satisfy. Now that's a dirty lie. If they satisfied, you wouldn't want another one. Amen. They're making a lot of to do about the cigarette, and I'm against it. Fellow said, couldn't I go to heaven and smoke cigarettes? I said, yes, and a whole lot quicker. Well, could I go to hell and go to heaven and chew tobacco? Yeah, but you'd have to go to hell and spit. <laughs> Let me show you something tonight. 
But why don't they say a little something about the booze and the liquor, amen? Why don't they say something about that? You never saw a man light a cigarette and wreck his car and kill a whole family? Why don't they say a little something about that? I get a, they, you get on the plane and they say, are you non-smokers? Doesn't matter to me. I said, I'd just like to be in the non-drinkers, but I can't find that. You know something? A lady pulled out a cigarette and puffed it. And a fellow sitting by her said, lady, you smoke. I chew. Now you can blow smoke on me if I can spit on you. <laughs> Pleasure seekers are never satisfied. Why? That's the reason it's so dangerous and that's the reason it's so insidious, my friend. Why? Because the thing that thrills you today will thrill you tomorrow. And the thing you do today won't bring you the thrill for tomorrow. And therefore you've got to add thrill on top of thrill, thrill on top of thrill, until after a while you're in the boat and the current's too poor, too, too strong on the pull of your oars and over the precipice you go. Listen, you get to the place where you can't make it, my friend. You can't make it. It never satisfies. And that's the reason the man stands with his hand on the, on the dresser drawer and throws his evening suit in the corner and pulls out the drawer and gets a gun and puts it to his temple and blood and brain spatters on the wall. That's the reason the young lady, my friends, that's the reason she stands with her hand on the, on the banisters of the bridge and leaps into a watery grave. Why? Because it didn't satisfy. I've seen them with hair disheveled and the faces emaciated and eyes bloodshot. And I've said, wallow in their own vomit on the streets of forgotten women. And I've said to them, one time as pure as you. I've said to them, why don't you go home? And they said, I'm ashamed to. I'm ashamed to. Let me tell you something. They didn't intend to wind up there when they started. What's the other thing about pleasure? Pleasure seekers are never satisfied, and that's the reason it's so dangerous. And the other thing is, pleasure seekers are dead in their sins. He that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Dead to everything that's noble and pure and good, dead to it. And that's the reason I'm against all of the modern stuff today, with every ounce of energy and effort that I have. And as long as God lets me live, I'll sound the trumpet, I'll sound the trumpet, I'll walk in the parade and I'll beat the old drum for God and Christ and righteousness. Bless God, when, I can't, when I'm dead, then skin this old head and put this skin over a, uh, over a drum head, somebody, and beat it for righteousness. Amen. Let me tell you something. Pleasure seekers. Pleasure seekers. What's the other thing? I want you to notice this tonight. I want you to notice this tonight. Belshazzar in life was, no, was no, not only a pleasure seeker, but Belshazzar in life was given to debauchery. Debauchery, what a word. How full of shameful, meaningful disgust. Belshazzar said, go yonder and get the, get the cups out of the temple. Things that have been dedicated for holy purpose for the, the drinking out of the, like our communion cups. And they're going to go and get them, he said. Go and get them and drink wine out of it. And they drink wine out of those. And then put to unholy uses things that have been dedicated for holy purposes and did another thing too. 
did another thing. They praised a God of gold and wood and stone and so forth. The people of this world today have become worshippers, my friends, of idols and idolatry. This world, you say, Dr. Lincoln, what's going to happen? Judgment unless they come back to God. Judgment unless we come back to God. Let me tell you another thing. Debauchery. Debauchery. Whoever dreamed that that beautiful girl was on the way to dishonor and shame. Whoever believed that that splendid young man who gave himself to the music, the dance of the liquor. Whoever dreamed that he was on the way to the mires of impurity and would be soon be a red-nosed, blear-eyed, degenerate, drunken goat. Whoever believed. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <coughs> Whoever believed that would happen. Debauchery. What an awful word. How full of shameful, meaningful disgrace. <coughs> debauchery. Debauchery. Pleasure-seeking and debauchery come from the same root. And bear the same fruit. Belshazzar in life was given to debauchery. <coughs> Let me say another thing about it tonight. Belshazzar in life lived under false security. Pretty easy to see that he was felt that he was secure. <coughs> Safety, he had a big army. Had so much food he dared to make a feast. Dared to make a feast. Listen, my friend, he had an impregnable wall. I think if he did, I think if they'd gotten an army twice the size they had, he still would have felt no fear for his safety. The man of the world lives in that same sense of false security. They're like the man, they're like the, they're like the farmer that went out younger and looked at his field, his waving fields of grain, and said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do with all my fruits and goods? What am I going to do? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down the old burns and I'll build me greater ones. And I'll, then I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got goods laid up for many seasons. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. God leaned over the embattlements of heaven and listened to the musings of his soul. And he said, as, as he poured out those personal pronouns and said, my crops, my barns, my soul, my thoughts, my arms, my soul, not a word about God's rain, God's sunshine, God's giving the ability, God's giving the strength for him to produce it. It was all me and mine. It was, thank you. And it was all me and mine. That's what he's talking about. God leaned over and listened to him for a moment and said, Thou fool. No, you're not a fool because you've got a big barn. You're not a fool because you've got a big crop. You're a fool because you've got the wrong estimation of God. It was all for me and mine. For me and mine, that's what it was for, my friend. Listen to me. Tonight, God's saying to you, and God leaned over and said, This night, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee, and who shall all these things be? You worked and slaved and worked and slaved and laid up and so forth and skimped. With held you tired, you didn't give to God and you ask me what you're doing, I'm laying it up for my wife and children. Son, if you could come back about six months after they plant you and see her with a new husband and the, and the girls with, and son-in-laws all in a lawsuit over what you left, you'd be surprised to see how well they're getting along without you. Amen? I kind of like the old bachelor. They thought he had a lot of money. Nobody ever went to see. 
His family never came about him. Never came about him. They thought he was a millionaire. But when he died, oh, the buzzards all came in. When he died, and they wanted to hear the will read, and they sat there, and they opened the paper, opened the envelope, and pulled out the will. This is what he said. Being of a sound mind, I spent every dime I had before I died. Listen to me. Listen to me, my friend. El Cesar in life, I want you to notice, lived under false security. Some of you tonight. Some of you tonight, everything, all, everything is wonderful with you now. Family's all well. Got money in the bank. Television. Everything lovely. You don't have to worry about anything now. Nothing bothers you now, my friend. You've just missed it all, but some of you can remember back yonder. The different ways that God has warned you. First of all, he's warned you by his preachers. He said, I place you as a watchman on Zion's wall. And if you see the sword coming and fail to warn my people their blood, I require at your hands. You heard the preacher preach. You heard him lean over this pulpit and with tears streaming down his face saying, God, I'm warning you tonight. I'm warning you tonight. And the blessed Holy Ghost walked in and touched your heart and said, you've got to meet God and the Holy Spirit touched you until you gripped the back of the seat until your knuckles almost turned blue. You listen to the man preach. I'm going to tell you this. I have not failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Some of you, my friends, that may have been the death of a child or a mother or a beloved one or a serious sickness or a bad accident. I buried a man's little baby one day and he put his arm around me and said, Dr. Layton, that's God's call to me to be a Christian. I said, will you heed it? He said, not today. Not today. Listen to me. I had a man in my meeting in Williamson, West Virginia, the First Baptist Church, and night after night alone, it was about 1925, and I saw him come in night after night. He sat there and I went back and talked to him. Nothing was moving. I missed him for two nights. Then I saw him come in with his arm in a sling. And that night when I preached down the aisle, he came and put up his good hand to me and I said, tell me what happened. He said, I was driving around the mountain last night and my car overturned and my arm was broken. And there under that car I was pinned and I said, oh God, if you let me out from under here and I can get to that meeting, I trust Jesus Christ. You made God a lot of promises. You're sitting here tonight and you made God promises and you know it. You better pay the vow that you have vowed, my friend. Let me give you another one tonight. I said, if death was not without warning, death was not without warning, why? You know what happened? Somebody said, look, look at the king. Look at the king. And his, eye, his, his, head, his face was peeled. And yon it was an armless hand with a gruesome finger writing in characters of fire upon the wall with a candlestick. Mina, Mina, detail you fast. God, let him see that. And he stood there and trembled at his knees, smote one against another, and the joints of his loins were loose. You talk about being afraid, being afraid, and his joints was, oh, bell was about all in, my friend. And somebody said, look at the king. They stopped the music. Everything got quiet. And then old Belshazzar said, send out yonder. Send out and get the wise men. Send down to the ministerial association and get some of the big boys have them come up here. I've been telling caressing them, giving them a place here in the, in, the, in the service and so on. Go and get them. And they came in. They came walking in with the airs of conquerors. And they looked at it and said, we can't read it. He said, read it. He said, we can't read it, king. We can't read it. We can't read it. And then he, somebody said, do you remember, do you remember Daniel? 
You remember when your grandfather Neb, when Daniel came and read to him, don't you? He drove him out to the field and his hair became as eagle's feathers and his ale became as bird's claws. You should have remembered that, Belshazzar. You should have remembered that. Somebody said, send out and get Daniel. Little old Daniel came walking in. He didn't even belong to the ministerial association. I think maybe he was he was uh, maybe superintendent of the rescue mission downtown. Little old Daniel came walking in and he said, read it, Daniel, read it. Keep your shirt on, King. I'll read it. I'm going to preach you a sermon. You'll remember when the stars been wrung out of their sockets, the moon's been blown out, and the sun's been turned to blood. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? He said, you should have taken warning from that, Belshazzar, but you didn't. It was not without warning. Your death is not without warning tonight. You say, Dr. Lake and I'll, I'll get ready in the 11th hour. You might die at 10.30. I dare you to tell me that you'll be alive to go out of that door. The person said to me, Dr. Lakin, how far is it to eternity? eternity? I said, just one breath. You just quit and that's it. Amen. I dare you to say that your heart will beat another time. Let me show you something, Belshazzar. His death was not without warning. Death was not without warning. He said, read it, Daniel. I'll put a chain of gold about your neck. I'll give you a place in the kingdom. I'll make his secretary of state. He said, keep your appointments for your political fight and politician. I don't need that. But I'm going to preach it to you. And he stood there and preached it to him. Let me tell you something. God given preachers today that will stand up and condemn the world. Amen. That's what I'm saying. His death was not without warning. Let me tell you another thing. His death was under condemnation. His death was under condemnation. He said, I'll tell you what it means, King. He said, Thou art been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's what it means. He said, you're a lightweight. You're a lightweight. That's what you are. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Listen, my friend. His, his minute is not without warning. His death was under condemnation. While I draw this fleeting breath, while mine eyelids close in death, when I see thee on, the, on thy, thy throne, listen, he said, help me, help me. God forbid, God forbid that I should die. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. They watched the man yonder dying in the old cab driver in the Adirondacks. And they watched him as he lift the cover with his foot and then whisper something. And then whisper something. They got down real close to him. And in his deliriums, he imagined he was in the mountains driving his cab. And the storm was on. And he was going down the mountain. And he was hunting for the break. And they whispered and they heard him say, I'm going, I'm, I'm going down. I'm, I'm going down the mountain. And I can't find the break. I can't find the break. You're going down the mountains one of these days and you're going to need the break. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyelids are closed in death, when I see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages clip for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's what you're going to need, my friend. Let me tell you something. His death was not only under condemnation, but his death was sudden. And that night was Belshazzar's sleep. Oh, you say, I'm going to live to be an old person. Then I'm going to die with a long, lingering illness. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know you won't die with, in an accident? How do you know that you won't be killed in an accident? How do you know that when you come to die, you'll have the proper access of your thinking faculties? How do you know that? How do you know that you will be? The 
Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. I had a good friend several years ago, Dr. Walter Lecklider of Richmond, Virginia, the old Stockton Street Baptist Church. Dr. Lecklider said he was preaching one night in Richmond, in Washington, D.C., and he said he went back and said to a man, will you come? And he said, I'm all right. And he said, I went back to the pulpit of that night after I dismissed his worldly wife as she went out of the choir. She said, why did Dr. Lecklider want to embarrass my husband? He's all right. He's all right. He said a little later, ten days later, I was back in the city. My phone rang in the hotel. And this lady said, Dr. Lecklider, rush over here quickly. My husband's dying. He said, I got in the cab and rushed across the city. When I got there, I, I, she met me at the door and said, go in. Go in, Dr. Lecklider. I said, he's all right. Well, she said, why do you say that? He said, you remember ten days ago when I tried to lead him to Christ. And you haughtingly said, he's all right. But she said, Dr. Lecklider, he wasn't dying that night. I went in and he said, pray for me. I said, you are. Oh, he said, listen, you remember 10 days ago when you said, I'm all right. But he said, Mr. Lecklider, I wasn't dying that night. Sam Jones said he went home one day and his wife said to him, Sam, I want you to go see the old sheriff. He's dying. I want you to go see the old sheriff. He said, I said, well, you know, he's an infant. He said, well, I want you to go see. I went to see the old sheriff. I walked in and I took him by the hand and said, how are you, sheriff? And he said, all right. Then I said to him, are you afraid to die? And he said, Sam, I always told you I wasn't afraid to die. I've never been afraid of anything. And Sam said, I got real down close and whispered in his ear and said, what about the judgment? Then he said, my God, Sam, I hadn't thought of that. What about the judgment? Disappointed that the man wants to die. After that, the judgment. Listen. Listen. The other thing about it was his death was in fear. Oh, how the devil makes a coward out of you when all of it's gone. Are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? Mr. Cato told me about going up to the penitentiary. Two boys, two boys that ever be electrocuted that night in the penitentiary. Went to see them. You know what one of them said? Night we killed the man in Indianapolis. That night we sat in the back seat, on the back seat of the Cato Tabernacle. Listened to the man preach. He said, we hadn't intended, we didn't go to church, but we got there, we just went in there to wait till it got late enough for us to do the robbery. We hadn't intended, to, we, hadn't, we hadn't thought about killing the man. We waited there until the church was over, and then we went out and said, that night in the attempted robbery, we killed a man. And he said, tonight, Mr. Cato, I die in the electric chair. Oh, God. How much would I give if I could go back and sit in that chair again in the back of that tabernacle? But it's too late. It's too late. Let me tell you something tonight, my friend. The reason I'm asking God to let me live. I'll tell you why. Oh, they call me the last of the old timers. I don't know. I believe that God has a message. I believe that God has, has given me a message, and I believe that message is needed in this country. I was down yonder in Merkel, Mississippi, on the last night of the great meeting with 3,000 people. 
the pastor said, must have been 30, 40 preachers. He said, when we're dismissed today, when we're dismissed today, I want you preachers to come up here on the platform. This is not a show. It's not something fanatical. I want you to form a circle here. They formed a circle. And he said, I want you to take each other by the hand. Now I want us to pray for this man. Then they laid their hands on me and they said, I want, we want to pray for this man. Mercy Ray said, we can't afford to lose him just now. Then he said, this is the prayer I want you to pray. Pray that God will give him an extension of his life. Let him preach a few more years. Amen. I don't want the devil to get a one I've ever preached. I want you to be ready when the big bell rings. I don't want you to miss the key. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.